As a business leader, you know attracting top talent is just the beginning. Real growth happens when you lead yourself and others well. Creating a company culture that attracts, nurtures, and retains the best of all things. We'll teach you how to make an impact through a holistic leadership approach. Reframing success in leadership. This is the Talent Magnet Institute podcast with your host, Mike Sipple Jr. Thank you for joining us for this conversation with the Talent Magnet Institute, powered by Centennial. I want to welcome a very dear friend, one of my 3AM friends, the CEO of Risk Source, Jonathan Theaters. Jonathan, thank you for joining us. Oh, thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I know you've been extremely busy during this time helping organizations like ours and many others manage through this time. So I appreciate you joining and being able to share some resources for our customers that are listening, our friends that are listening and tuning into this episode. Jonathan, let's just talk about kind of initially, what are two of the major pain points that you're hearing and seeing from your clients right now? Well, I think if anything, I mean, we're all living this kind of a movie nightmare all at the exact same time. So, and I think from our perspective, it's the disruption to daily business operations. It's trying to operate our business um, 100% remotely. And while at the same time answering just hundreds and hundreds of questions every day from our clients that are concerned, confused and wondering where to go. So, so I think from our standpoint, the two biggest things that we're hearing are with regard to the disruption of business and for those that are entirely shut down or those that have, you know, some form of business disruption, as well as, you know, just the increased risks and the and the challenges around remote workforce and dealing with some of the governmental regulations as far as what is an essential worker, what is an essential workforce, what is an essential business. Do I fit in that realm? What do I assume when I'm either deemed an essential business or by having my employees still in here, am I t- increasing my risks by having them potentially exposed to the coronavirus? And so those are the kind of questions that we're fielding every day. And I know you've also, so you've set up a kind of a COVID-19 portal for many of your customers. Can you talk about, and I know that was set up very, very quickly. Can you talk about that resource for those listening? And also let's talk about how your team got that up so quickly. Yeah, so I mean, it was really early on, and it kind of we started our coronavirus resource center. I had not even heard those words. Now it seems like there's quite a few of them out there <laughs> these days. But we wanted it centralized. I was getting bombarded with information and questions, and really wanted to have one place where we could send our trusted people to that we know it's been vetted, it's been organized, and we're kind of streamlining because you can really get just you know, completely inundated and crushed by too much information. Mm. And so that was really the, the organizing part of it. And we really broke it up into a couple different sections. One was just the news of the day, the things that you need to know, SBA loans, access points, things of that nature, CDC, you know, best recommendations, but also wanted to provide some things. What is that work at home guide? What should I be thinking from a human resource perspective or from a leadership perspective? how do you move an entire workforce in there? So providing resources and tools and downloadables can be used to kind of gear a lot of those conversations. 
And then the other two big risk areas um, that are really, I think, coming out of this that a lot of people aren't talking about exactly is around cyber liability and the risk, increased risks of hacking. And, you know, anytime there's chaos, there's going to be some people that want to take advantage of that. And so what we're seeing is much higher degree of phishing expeditions and people sending out, you know, junk emails and they're using coronavirus because we're so heightened to want to click on everything as that fish to try to, to drag in. And so, and then the other piece is anxiety. And that's another part that we've been really seeing a lot of lately is around, you know, how do you work from home for long periods of time and not only work from home, which a lot of people have had that type of situation before, but your kids are normally at school, your spouse is not normally there. So juggling entire family life at the same time as a work work situation. I know for some of our employees, it's been, hey, we have an office and it's great because my husband or my wife or whatever uses it two days a week. I use it a day or two a week, but now we're both home all the time. And so one of us is at the kitchen table, one of us is actually in the office and that's great for a day, but that's tough to live a life ongoing like that. For those listening, please go down to your chat box. If you have any particular questions that we can direct to Jonathan, we have this set up so you can submit those confidentially and I'll make sure to cover those. So if there's particular things that for those who are attending with us want to ask or want some guidance on, Jonathan has offered himself being a resource in this conversation for any of you, which we greatly appreciate. and always want to bring value to our listeners and those attending this conversation. So Jonathan, when you talk about the, you know, you have a variety of different topics to manage through. You've got Mm -hmm. keeping employees safe. You know, what if one tests positive, how do you manage Mm -hmm. that? You have organizations that are essential that still have to follow the CDC guidelines What I'm finding with some of our clients is some of those essential businesses are actually landing particular orders regarding to PPEs that are increasing their manufacturing need in that case or technology need. So you still have to follow CDC guideline, but we have a throughput that's went up. And then you have some retail organizations that are, you know, have unfortunately had to go through furlough or layoff already. That's another huge topic I'd love to talk to you about. So let's talk about the CDC guidelines and how an essential organization needs to manage that. And then those that are trying to keep themselves open to walk up or curbside or, you know, any retail type of environment that you still have a human to human interaction. What are you sharing with those customers? I know you serve that industry quite a bit as well. Yeah. So um, we're constantly referring toward, I mean, that is one area where you just have to stay up on what's coming out from one, the CDC, but also the federal and the state or local governments because they're putting out their own regulations for that. So obviously in Ohio, where predominant amount of our customers are, the governor has been very aggressive, very early. hopeful that this is a, a way that to control it in a good way. But one of the things is, and I try to not use the word social distancing as much as physical distancing, because I think we all strive to want to be with people and to connect with the human element, which mm-hmm. is, I think, is really, really important too. So mm-hmm. 
but when you're in a manufacturing setting, a warehouse setting, I mean, those six feet parameters still work for you. And that's tough in a lot of situations. And so really setting forth, how do we operate in this world that allows our business to continue because it is deemed essential, but live in the parameters, making sure that there's hand sanitizer, that you're checking temperatures at the beginning of the day and the end of the day, you know, all of those things that are requirements, you really have to put into place in a systematic way to keep things going. Mm. So, so definitely follow the rules there. And it seems like every day something else pops up that, that, that needs to be addressed. Yeah. Yeah. And the mental health, when you look at the risk associated or is there insurance policies that are covering that for mental well-being right now? Well, I think there's a multitude of insurances that have the potential. Every policy needs to be addressed and reviewed independently with their broker and their insurance company. And and if there's claims to be made, when is the appropriate time for that? So mm-hmm. it's a really individualistic. And one thing that I can tell you after reviewing 25 probably different insurance company forms on the property casualty side alone, everyone's a little bit different. And so the devil's in the details as far as words go. So, but workers' compensation is one area. That's a lot of question. If I contracted at work, is that covered by workers' comp? Not typically. It potentially could be in this situation. It's the same way that if you got the regular flu and you gave it to your person sitting next to you and they were off work for three days because they had the flu, that would not be a workers' comp claim. It had nothing to do with the scope of the work. Per se. Now, where you might find some coronavirus coverage is, is in any healthcare setting where you're required, it's part of your job is to be in there. Or you could, a typical area that would not normally have been, but maybe today is the grocery store, where a lot of those workers are being forced to work or they have to work in that situation. They're being put in front of the public in a different situation based on what we are. So there could be some workers' compensation that's available. Mm-hmm. There's also a lot of legislation that's trying to dictate, but every state is going to be uniquely different in that regard. Health insurance for the predominant area, they're covering these type of situations. So if somebody comes down and they have medical bills increased, whatever, for the most part, those are situations that would be covered. But again, I'm not a health insurance expert. So refer. I always like to refer those to those people, but in a general sense, one of the real challenges for a lot of businesses is in the business interruption standpoint. Right. So they buy business income insurance. You know, if their building catches on fire and they're out for six months while it's being rebuilt, well, you want to keep your people on staff. So you have payroll costs that are continuing. You might have your mortgage. You might have ongoing costs. You're not going to necessarily buy all your raw materials. So you might, it's not exactly, you know, everything, but it's going to replace all that lost income. And so that was the original piece. Hey, I'm a restaurant and I am out of business. I should have business income insurance. Well, one of the challenges in our industry, and this is the real issue with pandemic type risk, is that the insurance is for direct physical damage. Now, this is where the semantics comes important, where some insurance companies have a very well-defined virus exclusion or direct physical damage is saying direct physical damage to the structure. But in most instances, I would say anybody that I've dealt with, there's not really been a direct physical damage. Actually, none of our clients have actually had the coronavirus diagnosis yet at their location, so they haven't been. But this is state-ordered civil authority that have said, 
you have to be out of business. And so it's thrown the industry in a tailspin because they're saying, one, we didn't really underwrite or charge for this type of risk. Two, it's not really covered. Is it even insurable? Is it more because it's so national and so large in scale? Can the insurance industry even absorb something like this without the cost going so out of control for every single purchaser? Is this more of a federally backstopped type situation, similar to terrorism, things of that nature, where 9-11 was such a big disruption to our world? Does the federal government need to have that backstop? So there's a lot of moving pieces. I'd say it's very similar to our own businesses that we've had to adjust and go to work from home. You're kind of doing it on the fly. And uh, nobody likes the fly, especially when you don't like to work on the fly when they're contracts, because that makes it even more difficult. But I would say that there's a lot of this, just just so many moving pieces. And it'll be interesting to see where it settles out. And what we just told our clients is, we're going to be your advocate, and we're going to push forward. And if there is a dollar to be found, we're going to find it. And so we're just going to push forward for you. Jonathan, one of the questions that was posed, if someone were to test positive, in a work environment. Is that employee's privacy protected? Yeah. So again, I would definitely check with legal counsel from your standpoint, but from a general sense, the way that we have said is that the privacy needs to be maintained for that individual. If Mike and you and I work together and I got diagnosed with coronavirus and you're my supervisor, you would come, we would have that interaction. You would obviously send me home. I've got to be quarantined, do whatever. And that's going to be based on your family leave policy, uh, maybe some of the things that the government's put out, but you'll deal with me individually. What the first thing that somebody should do is talk about who have you had interactions with in the last two weeks. Mm. So, So I need you to list out the people, shoot me an email, let's do it right now, whatever it may be. But what coworkers have you been with? What suppliers, vendors, customers? and try to get a comprehensive list. And what we suggest is having those direct conversations with those individuals. So if they've met 15 people, go pull them aside. You would not want to share, you know, it was Jonathan Theaters, it was John Doe or Jane Doe, but we have had an employee that's been diagnosed with coronavirus. Our understanding is that you may have had contact with them. We're going to ask you to quarantine for a couple of weeks, whatever your guidelines are stipulating at the time. And then for every other staff member that may not have directly had any contact with, it's just a general email. Someone within our company has been diagnosed, you know, communication. And I do have a little write-up that I'm happy to supply to you that if you want to send out, Mike, that kind of writes down a lot of these kind of policies and procedures. Okay. I'm happy to share that with you. I'll shoot you an email for that. Okay. Yeah. And for those listening, shoot me an email or a message. You can even do it right now. Yep. Send me an email if you have my email address. If you don't, put it in the chat here and we'll send you an email. You can put your email address in the chat box and the um, our panelists can handle that and get it over to you. Thank you, Jonathan, for providing that. Let's talk a little bit about, and I know you and I have even had this discussion about overcoming communication challenges with remote teams. You know, it's like one day we were all together, the next day we weren't allowed to be, right? So I know I've shared in a couple of episode recordings we did last week that I was meeting with an HR executive and he was like, it was the strangest thing, Mike. I walked into my place of work on Friday and as the 
director of HR, I'm watching seven employees walk out with their monitors. We don't have a monitor take-home policy, like, you know, and obviously, you know, he didn't stop them, you know, but it was just a great example of these things we never think about until it happens, right? So overcoming remote challenges or communication challenges with remote teams, what do you find that's working? What are you hearing that's working from your clients? And what do you also hear that's not working that you're seeing people adjust around? Yeah. So I can speak from our experience. Back in Hurricane Ike time in 2009, it really hit me hard. We were down without power for two or three days. Hmm. There's a few times you want your insurance agent to be there for you. And it's usually when something bad happens. Hmm. And so living in a, in a society, in a, in a community, when something bad happens, especially like a tornado or windstorm, something of that nature happens to one person, it's very likely if it happens to us, we could be down at the same time our customers need us the most. Yeah. So it really hit me back in 2009. We have got to be prepared for this much better than we are. And, and so from that day forward, when we really worked a plan as far as buying a generator and making sure that our technology was redundant and we moved over the course of five, six years to the entire company having laptops or services, the ability to work from home. The last three years, we've really pushed everybody to work one day a week from their house. Hmm. One, it cuts down on drive time and carbon footprint and just good for the earth. Uh, but two, it's allowed to make sure we were prepared. But three weeks ago, when all of this was coming to a, we did a practice round because we had never all worked remotely. And we took a Wednesday and practiced. And then we sent out a survey to all of our staff. What is working? What isn't working? What about your job is harder? What about your job is the same? And we just did that through a constant contact survey, gathered all the information, and then we learned from that. And so I would suggest that to, for people to do today. It's very simple. But what have you learned? Oh, what I've learned is, is that I really need a printer. <laughs> you know, I'm burning through ink cartridges. <laughs> oh, wait, why are you doing ink cartridges? Oh, um, you know, my monitor set up. Or I didn't realize that my husband was going to be home too. And now we have no real office desk for both of us. So we learned a lot of those type of situations. And then, of course, uh, we came back on a Thursday and a Friday. And then on Friday, we announced, hey, we're going to work from home all next week. Mm. And I really thought it was going to be a, a full test to say, I think this is coming. Let's just, you can't yeah. always tell what something's broken after one day of doing anything. But if right. we could stretch five days, we'll start to see and we'll learn even more. And so, and of course, we've never been back. And so mm. I'm the only one in the office most of the time. Our president, Amanda, comes in, and but everybody else has been 100% work from home. From an operational standpoint, I'd say it's pretty seamless. Technology, telephones, computers, all that's going, couldn't be any better. Mm. And what we've tried to do is maintain that sense of culture and the sense of connectedness. So our Tuesday morning meetings, we run our all-staff meetings. We run very similar to the way we did in person. That's the one day a week where you always had everybody in our office was Tuesdays. Hmm. And so we still do that. Everybody pops up on their video screens and we get to see everybody. And then a big portion of what we do probably breaks off some HR rules and all of that, but we do pray together and we do that every Tuesday morning. We still do that over the WebEx video conference, which I think is really good. And, and people share and feel connected. And then another couple of things that I've been really 
had fun with. It was one of our employees, Casey. She she has a really strange connection to pens. I mean, it's bizarre. I mean, and anyone that she might have a hundred pens on her desk, and half of them are chewed on. I mean, they're pretty rough. And so I grabbed all the pens in the office and I threw them on my desk and I just said, you know, I took a picture that said, you know, thinking, missing my teammates, thinking of you. Love you, Casey. And it got a little chuckle and a laugh. And then and I thought, oh, I'm going to go do somebody else. And so every day I've been sitting in somebody else's desk where they normally are and posing something that's personal that reminds me of them. It's been a lot of fun. People have been joking. Oh, this is your best one yet. But any way we can try to make the human connection virtually I think is important and get creative because it's, you know, we're in this, we're not getting out of it anytime soon. This isn't a choice, Yeah, but we do need to figure out some ways to, to have some fun too. Yeah. That's a great example. So just today, our team logged in and apparently on zoom, our team figured out very quickly how to change their backgrounds. I still uh, have not changed my background, but We've been having a variety of discussions every week on Zoom. So we have a, a Notre Dame grad amongst us. So he changed his background. We also have Janelle, who's our marketing leader. She popped up here with some funny glasses. I don't know if you all can see that. Hopefully you can. Oh, yeah. We also decided that it's very hard to get a candid Zoom shot because there's always someone <laughs> that's, yeah. that doesn't look very happy. So today we encouraged us all to smile so we could take this picture. So, but, you know, I think as you mentioned, keeping this time being intentional, right? Yeah. Being thoughtful, asking what you can do. I had a client just last week used a piece of software. Apparently it's a banking software called Divvy, D-I-V-V-Y. And they basically sent all their employees a little bit of money for lunch through this account, right? So they could use this account and pay client that we support who's doing that. We know organizations that have also kind of pulled money together for their own employees that have had to be furloughed or went through a downsizing. We've also seen organizations and team members that have pulled money together to also help a cause, right? Put money into a relief fund, provide resources. But we would encourage everyone to just kind of make, you know, make this time what it is, accept what it is, and ensure that you're living out. You know, we've told people, you can't make up your values now right? Your right. core values are going to show up by the way you're treating people, the way you're communicating, and the way yeah. you're making people feel, right? And yep. your culture is made up of the thousands and thousands of interactions that you have each and every day by the definition of Lynn Rule, who's one of our faculty members and advisors to our family and our business. And culture's made up of those interactions, right? So what are your people feeling even during a difficult time such as this, even one where you have to make difficult decisions, your culture is going to show up, right? And Absolutely. your core values are going to show up. And the question is, if you put yourself in your other employees' shoes, what are they feeling right now? Jonathan, let's talk a little bit about crisis planning in general. I remember it seems like just a 
few short eight, nine months ago, I came to you and said, Jonathan, I have a client who has asked me, what is my crisis plan? And we didn't have one eight months ago, right? So, yep. you, of course, within a few seconds, I had a model and a template that I could fill in. And you helped us go through that for this particular customer. So one, to you, what does a crisis plan look like? Is it already, how many organizations do you feel had one and how many have turned to you to say, Jonathan, we need to think through a crisis plan right now and what this yeah. can look like? Well, I think twofold. One, not many, many people have one. Usually the requirements from a supplier or a customer that requires it, that's usually how they come through. A few will be proactive and do one voluntarily, but a lot of it's pushed through by others. But I tell you, right now is no better time to plan a crisis than when you're in the midst of a crisis because mm. you're living it in real time. So take a template, start gathering what you know, what you've learned, what works, what doesn't work. Who are those leaders that step up? Who are the leaders that are really struggling? Mm -hmm. Who are your go-tos? Who are your vendors that are there for you? When you reach out to them, they respond. One who hasn't been. But just really gathering. Like right now is the perfect time to plan for a crisis because you're in it. So document what's working, what's not working. But there's plenty of templates out there. We have some on our website that are free and downloadable. Just go right to it and hit the button and it'll get you 90% there. We don't know who your vendors are and we don't know the specifics of how you want to address things, but you can fill that part in. But that's the important part is just to plan. We are in the process of developing a pandemic emergency management plan. We have a template that's probably 95% complete. Okay. It's one that until today, two months ago, if I went to a thousand companies and said, we need to talk about and be, prepare for a pandemic risk, maybe 1,000 of those would say, I have no time for that. Hmm. And so we kind of are a society around, we move by crisis anyway. So now I say it's the perfect time to address those things and how we're going to Where on your website, is that in the resource guide? That is. No, it will actually be there. We actually just talked about that today, but under- Tools and resources. Tools and resources are at risk source. You'll scroll down and there's one on crisis management. There's a whole suite of things that can be downloadable okay. under there. But you'll also find things like active shooter guides and there's- cybersecurity and cyber incident response plans. There's a whole section under at resource that are free and downloadable resources for, okay. for you. Okay. So what I'll do for everyone, I'm going to provide a link there, a link for yeah. business tools yeah. and for you to go there. So we want to, I also provided a link in the chat. If you go to your chat and you're uh, listening on zoom, I, so I just shared that. Yeah. And then so, I do encourage, again, for those who haven't, so kind of one of the questions that many people have been asking us is, Mike, what news sources are you following, right? So I kind of, I even shared one of my employees was like, Mike, there's so many options. How okay. are you keeping track? And what I'm doing is basically picking a couple of individuals who I know are aggregating everything else. Right. Correct. So I'm looking to my bank, I'm looking to my CPA, and I'm looking to our insurance companies, both healthcare and property casualty and risk. And we happen to utilize 
Jonathan Theaters and his risk source team for a lot for our business as an advisor. So go to your aggregators, those individuals that are trying to keep their customers real time up to date, and they're procuring and curating all of the content, distilling it down, figuring out what we should actually be following, what do we need to, those are things that we want to make sure we provide. So I provided to the panelists in the chat. For those listening, we'll provide a link to this as well. And I've got one more link here that I'm going to provide that the Jonathan has provided over to us. So a couple other questions. Jonathan, where do responsibilities fall for the crisis planning? In a, let's say, a medium-sized organization, a large organization, and a small organization, can you share who typically holds that responsibility? If I'm listening and I'm the COO, who do I turn to if I'm the... We have a couple of heads of HR and CEOs on the call. Mm-hmm. Who do I turn to for that information? Yeah, so I hate to give a vague answer. Every company is set up a little bit different. Without a doubt, it is the CEO's responsibility for crisis management. I think that's when that particular leader has to be in the forefront. Okay. Uh, that doesn't mean that they do everything, but he or she should be the leader of that. It needs to be the sign-off to say, this is important, this is our plan, and this is done. Typically, it runs into one of two areas, the COO or the head of HR. Okay. I think it is much more of an operations type situation. That's my personal opinion, because it gets into a lot deeper than just the human element. But you'll, you, there would be interaction amongst any of the whole team. Yeah. Because there is a lot of crossover. But I think a lot of people think about just the human aspect, which is completely important, but miss the operational pieces. Just thinking... From an operation standpoint, how do you have redundancy in jobs? I mean, everybody knows you should have cross-training. Some of us are better at it and certain roles are easier at it. Mm-hmm. But just thinking right now, if somebody's down, you know, say they get diagnosed or they're going to be out for a couple of weeks, is there somebody to be able to do that job? I mean, really thinking through those type of situations when you don't have a problem will help lead you to hey, we really need to address this right now. How do we effectively do cross-training? How do we effectively address these areas? And it won't only help during these type of situations. It helps with workers' comp. Right. You know, one of the things that I tell people, there's a misnomer. I'm not going to say it ever doesn't happen, but at some times people will have, you know, one of the employees gets hurt and then the second employee gets hurt and the third employee gets hurt. And like, oh, people just want to stay at home and they want to take advantage of the system. That may happen, but that's not usually the correct. Usually people get hurt when they are overworked or sleepy, tired, or doing a job that they're not familiar with or doing extra time. And so if I am injured on a workforce and John or Jane come up to help support in whatever function I did, chances are they're more tired to doing a job they're not normally for too. But the opportunity for them to get hurt is so far greater than if I was still working. And so really addressing just cross-training in general is a good risk management technique, just purely from a non-pandemic situation, just a daily good work. So yeah, I think having those is really, really important. Excellent. Excellent. And let's talk a little bit about furlough and layoff situations. I think that's a topic that's becoming so timely and so important. And how are you, I'm sure you've even possibly even had to help some clients manage through this. Yeah. What are some of the best practices and steps that you're suggesting to your customers? Well, 
I hate to say it, it's a difficult situation. It's one that every company is going to be unique in their own. If you're under 500 lives and you have some of this CARES Act money that's potential for you and things of that nature, your answer might be very different than if you don't. So there's health insurance issues and challenges, especially on the larger groups that have self-insured plans that a furlough may be easier than a complete layoff because you're dealing with structure of health insurance issues, things of that nature. So I think to me, it's grab, and of course, it'll all be virtual these days, but your attorney, your insurance provider, accountant, probably HR professional, whether that's in-house or outsourced, and really talk about individually, what is the best situation for me for the long-term success of the company? And that long-term success of the company is taking care of the employees. It's taking care of the business, your customers, your suppliers. We have one client that I was talking to earlier today. They've never had a company layoff in their entire 100-year history. And, you know, they go from 560 people to... And uh, they really felt like they had diversity in their supply chain or their, their customer base. And they actually do. They're in three totally different industries but three totally three industries that have zero business right now, completely shut down by this. And so, um, you know, there's real challenges and issues and um, they go on. And, and then of course the challenge for them is at 560 employees, how does this money apply to me when it's capped at 500? So every situation is going to be uniquely different. I think in a general sense, people want to do the right thing. They want to care and take care of their employees and I don't believe you can over-communicate, but I think from a leadership standpoint, we have to be out there. And what I've told our staff is we can't change this situation. The situation is what it is. It's difficult. It's hard. It's frustrating. I've never worked so many 15 and 18-hour days in a row in my career, and I really don't want to do this any longer. <laughs> but that's, you know, that's the world we're in. But I tell them all the time, lean into this. You know, especially from a standpoint of, you know, people that we deal with in our industry, you know, if people go on their heels, this is an opportunity. You know, I don't want to say take advantage of the situation, but we can control what we can do and lean into this, innovate, create a new opportunity. You know, our salespeople are saying nobody wants to take a first meeting. Well, that's an easy deal. I I wouldn't want to take a first meeting with somebody. I'm not going to meet and talk about this at this juncture. And so sales has an easy you know, scapegoat to say nobody wants to talk. Well, what about being a thought leader? What about the amazing content we've developed over the last years? Pump this out, push it out, you know, become you know, a resource that people in the community want to look to and say, this is important. And then the world always comes around, whether that comes around to you or it comes around to somebody else, the world is always circular, but be the thought leader. The salespeople today should have no real excuse to not be just as busy as they were a month ago. It just looks vastly different, but lean into this situation as best you possibly can because we're all in it together. To those listening, again, continue to share with us and send Jonathan and I questions so we can make sure we're providing you timely and relevant feedback to really help you right now with your business and your team and yourself personally. I know you were sharing before And I was on the call this morning with a group of people. We're going to be putting on a mental health and mental wellness conversation. I'm going to be having a discussion tomorrow 
with a leader talking about mental wellness and what that looks like, that you have individuals who, like me, right, get energized by being around others. And it's not quite the same when it's virtual. And people like yourself, right, that are working 16, 18 hour days to serve the client and it's demanding, demanding, demanding. You know, I've shared with a couple individuals, my kids wish I too have been working from our office, but I have an entire floor right now by myself. So everybody's at home, but my kids are like, dad, can you come home and be quarantined with us? Right. And even that takes its toll on me, right. That they would like for me to be home and to be able to play Scrabble. And, but right now I'm also responsible to our employees, to our customers, to the people who are calling, even on the weekends. I mean, I'm sure you're dealing with it because I've done it to you the last two weeks. Like, you know, I've been getting calls on the weekends of Mike, what do we do to get on the essential list? How do we make sure that we are on that question I mentioned to you earlier? We've got several clients that are extremely busy right now and ramping up production during, you know, how do we do this? We had an employee on Saturday reach out to us and said, we're in the process of landing a ventilator contract and we're going to need 75 employees in two weeks. And how do you do that during this time? Right. But we're as business owners trying to respond to these real-time needs. What do you recommend to those just on taking care of ourselves? What are some steps that you're reading articles that you're reading and things you're even doing for yourself right now? Yeah. Or is that all out the window? For me, it is all out the window. I really wish every day I come home and I say I'm getting on the Peloton. Every day I could say I'm going to go walk the dogs and I just literally crash. Um, so don't do as I say <laughs> or don't do as I do, <laughs> do as I say. But I think for the messages that we've been given to our staff is stick with a schedule. Colleen in our office has had a really great idea, but she told everybody, she sent an email to the, all the, the entire company and said, My drive time every day that I normally went to work, I do on the treadmill. I'm just converting the time that I normally would drive to work at the beginning of my day and the end of my day to get on my treadmill at home. And like, what an easy thing to do. If you can give yourself that to say, hey, I have a 20-minute drive to work or a 10-minute drive to work or a 45-minute drive to work, convert that same time, like stick to whatever schedule you normally had, but create that at home because it can become very lonely at home for a lot of people. Over time, we tell people, our staff, use technology to connect with loved ones. I know some of our employees have some really, you know, five, six, seven grandchildren, or they have parents that are out of town, or they can't go see their parent because they're afraid they don't want to get them sick, you know. But how do you use technology to connect with those loved ones and transform in a little different way? And I I think that that's really important. Getting exercise, um, we're pushing a lot to just say, how can we do things during webinars? I mean, I've, I've probably attended more webinars than I have in a year in the last, you know, three weeks. So, you know, if you can sit on a treadmill and go to the webinar while you're listening, what a better use of time to get your body moving a little bit while you're doing that. And then one of the other things too, and, and it goes through this information overload, but is we tell people remain informed, but don't like obsess. And I think that that's really, really important because we do want to remain informed. And so what I've, what I've personally been doing is, you know, because I read so much and I've been, you know, online so much and I've been doing all this, I just found that 60s on six when I'm driving in the morning and in the afternoon, 
Like there's no bad that ever happens in 60s music, like ever. Like it's always happy. And it's kind of corny, actually. 60s music. 60s music. Nothing okay. bad ever happens in 60s music. So I only listen to 60s on six in the morning because I need like something to change the dynamic because if I just listen to NPR or a newscast or something of that nature, I mean, it, there's no break from this. And yeah. you've got to give yourself the break and not obsess around it. And then the other part too is um, mindfulness and gratitude. We've been really, really trying to at our staff to, to really be mindful, but also say thank you a tremendous amount and encourage our staff when they see things like somebody help. I get it would be if we were all in one room and I helped you, Mike, you would very likely give me that feedback right away to say, hey, thanks. That helped me in my day and, I, and made me feel good. When we're all remote working, we don't always have that same connection. And so what we've been saying is make those virtual connections, whether that's you want to tell the whole company how this employee made you feel and made this experience better for a client, customer, or community, go for it. Um, or if you want to do it one-on-one, do it one-on-one, but give positive feedback and, and be grateful for all the things that people are doing because we're all in this together. Mm. And, and you really see some great, great stories of, of appreciation come out. And so to me, I think a lot of that is just... You know, I think that as leaders, that is our job is to assess the situation that we're in, know what we control control, and what we can't control, understand it, and then provide good, solid connection to our staff, our customers, our community, and remain relevant. I think that's our primary function today is just keep everything going. Yeah. Yeah. So another question, thank you for sharing that, everyone. I hope you can take some of those thoughts and comments away. There's two things that I've been encouraging people to do it is journal on the gratitude, right? Think about the things that we're thankful for. I've shared in some of our courageous leadership discussions around every time you walk through a doorway, think about something you're thankful for. Because during this time, it's important that we focus our attention on the things that are going well and that we're simply thankful for. So I have one question that came up, which I think is a great question. Thank you for submitting it. Will this event and crisis drive up insurance premiums rates, significantly change the claims ratio for future renewal cycles and any opinion on factor changes? Yeah, I think that's actually a great question. I'll just give you my gut because who knows where this ultimately ends up. So, but my feeling is, is that if, if this then turns into the pandemic, it can be, I would expect health insurance rates to increase. I and mean, I think it's going to be, if it's not federally backstopped and there's not some dollars that are provided on the back end to help support this, these are all incidences that are not being attributed. Now, on the downside or on the other side is that all those elective surgeries that are typically covered are almost for all intents and purposes not happening. So you may not see the industry have the struggle that they're having right now, but those will be compounded costs because those surgeries that were spread out over the couple months that there are no elective surgeries, they're all going to be crammed into a shorter time span. So it's very similar to when the automakers fall throughout 0% interest and all of a sudden auto sales went through the roof and everybody was like, oh, it's great. Look how many auto sales. And then 
once everybody bought a car, I mean, how often do you buy a car? Then they were like, wait, where do the auto sales go? Well, it's because you forced everybody to buy a car when they weren't really ready to. They right. were maybe going to buy one in six months. But yep. hey, it's 0%. I'm not buying it now. And so I, I think this on uh, uh, elective surgery, I think healthcare is going to be changed a lot because of, um, you think some of these hospital systems, oh, they have to be doing really really well financially right now because of all this. Well, their moneymaker is, is surgery, elective surgery. So, so I should say, I was saying non-elective surgery. It'd be elective surgery or what they've been cut out. So sorry for the... On the property casualty side, if business interruption doesn't really turn into a covered claim from the insurance company, I don't think you're going to see a whole lot of disruption on the PNC side. Uh, there may be some, that would be my gut. If these are paid by the industry through either legislation changes or um, interpretation or legal, I believe we were heading toward a little bit of a hard market in some lines of coverage anyway. I think it could have exponential. And I'll give you an example of one of our insurance companies that we deal with. They insure about 50% of all the YMCAs in the country. All the YMCAs are shut down. Um, they're a struggle. They do offer what appears to be $100,000 worth of pure coronavirus type insurance for it for business interruption. So you can think of all of their clients are probably going to have a $100,000 claim. Easy. I mean, well, when you put in the numbers, they can only take in about $45 million of the premium a year and their claims are going to be over $60 million just for that $100,000 sum limit. So that company is going to struggle, would be my guess. And they're only going to be able to fix that through rate. And that'll drive things up for a lot of people hmm. or provide opportunities for other insurance companies to, to fill the gap. So it'll be interesting to see how capacity changes through this and how it directly correlates with increased costs. But my guess would be that I think in the long term, health insurance, you will feel this. And I believe on the property casualty side, I think we will, it will depend on how business interruption in particular is handled, but it could be quite significant if it isn't. My yeah, thank gut. you. Thank you for providing that question. I think that's on everyone's mind. I think what I hear you saying is it it depends yeah. on how all of this is handled. It's too early to formally yeah. tell, but that's kind of my gut feeling of where we are today. Yeah. Hmm. Very interesting. Yeah. So, Jonathan, again, for those listening, if you go to risksource.com, I have it written back here, but I don't know. Yeah. Risksource.com. Yeah. <laughs> for those that have joined us live, We've submitted these links over to you. Make sure you check out the chat. Is there anything in particular that you would like to leave our listeners with as they walk away from this conversation and go back to their teams and organizations or go back and serve the clients that they work with? What leave-behinds can we provide to them? Well, I think from a leave-behind standpoint, from a physical leave behind standpoint, any resource that we can supply, I mean, we're happy to do that. From a messaging leave behind, I kind of go back to what I had said earlier, is that this is a crazy time that we're all in together. A lot of us are learning on the fly. I think there's some industries that will be forever changed by this. Mm. I think work will be forever changed by this. I think if there was ever any fear of work from home, well, we're over the fear because we have to do what we have to do right now. And I think that there'll be a lot of business that is changed by that. Yeah. And I think in a lot of good ways. Yeah. I think it could be very, very positive. Mm. I know that 
anytime I had a video conference, if there was a dog barking in the background or a kid that ran into the room, I was always felt a little embarrassed for whoever it was. Yeah. Now it's like just everyday life. Yeah. And it's, yeah. You know, you just move on. <laughs> so there's an empathy. And I think that what I would also stress, and I stressed all of my friends is to be a friend to the world right now. And I generally see that, that people are pretty gracious, understanding. And I think our world almost needed that. Hmm. I would really be understanding the employee that's concerned or for some of us, I'm looking for any opportunity to be with my family. I mean, this is kind of a great delight. Some people don't have the same situation. Some are like, hey, I, I come to the office every day, so I have a break from everything. But living spouse, family, kids, dogs, all of that with no break and no other interaction can be overwhelming and it can take its toll. I think we'll constantly see the evolution of that over the next few weeks. So I think as leaders, be connected to your employees understand where they are and what they're doing and how you can help, what you can help. Check in with people. Just thinking about you and is there anything that you need? What's making your job hard? What's making your job easy? Some things we're going to be able to control, some things we won't, but I think gathering that connection will yield long-time results for everybody. Yeah, it's interesting, Jonathan. On Sunday evening, I was on a HR social hour chat, which is made up of a a global HR community. And the group that puts it on, John Thurman and Wendy Daly, the host of the HR Social Hour. Again, these are HR execs from all over the world. Everyone across the globe is in the same place, right? Yeah. We had a variety of people on. I think there were 38, 39 people. There's a new app that I learned about called Kahoot. Yes. K-A-H-O-O-T. We actually did a trivia night for all these HR executives and their families, right? So now you can do that with your employees. Yeah. But your community, your friends, I know last night I got home and my wife said, hey, we should host a Zoom chat for the family, right? We can't all get together. Everybody has kids and nobody can see Momo and Paul. Let's hop on Zoom and and then we ask my parents the same thing. Hey, do you want to get my sister from LA and my sister who lives here and you know everyone together? So use technology, not just for your team, which we're all using, but think about ways to connect to your friends and family. That yeah. same, that HR social hour, they've done a great job of building community for HR executives and people who serve in the human capital, human resource space. And this weekend, this Sunday, they're hosting a everybody turn on this particular Indiana Jones movie and hit play at 7.05. And we're all going to watch just the build community and keep people going and make sure we have the connection that we all need during this time. It's key and critical for all of us. So in our people, use these ideas as leaders to encourage your team to do the same, right? To your point earlier, I've been on two Zoom calls this week with people that have had kids on their lap, right? And so long ago, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, that would seem so inappropriate. Now, if you're interviewing or having a business conversation or something, do what you can, right? But I would encourage us to all be more flexible, be more empathetic, 
it will make us, it, it's not may, it will make us be that way post pandemic, right? Yep. When we get through this crisis, we'll see the world different. Yeah. We're going to see the world different. And there's a generation right now that are really, their life perspective is being formed by this yep. crisis, right? Yep. So how you act, how you interact, how you show up at home, how you treat your people, how you treat your colleagues and coworkers and employees, and those all really matter and people are watching. Mm -hmm. You know, if you enjoy your work, your children or grandchildren or whoever's in your home, you may not have any children, or whoever's around you are gonna see how you interact right now. You're very visible which also makes us vulnerable, right? Yeah. But be real and check yourself and listen to those that are around you. You know, we do recommend to those who are tuning in today, if you go to talentmagnetinstitute.com backslash webinar, you can register for the Courageous Leadership webinar if you have not already participated in that. We also have a meeting, a conversation like this tomorrow at noon that we're going to be hosting with Learning Grove about childcare and how childcare, that industry as itself has been completely turned upside down, sure. but also how that impacts workforce. I have a discussion tomorrow afternoon with Paul Hegan at two o'clock on wellness and mental health and being positive, being thoughtful. We're going to be on next week with the Brighton Center talking about what communities need to know and what's happening in our community, what's really happening in our community right now, mm -hmm. and what are the needs and the responses. We have a conversation later next week with Ignite Philanthropy that's going to be about how are nonprofits needing to innovate and think differently. We're also hosting another Courageous Leadership webinar next week, and we will be on the Gearing Center's webinar series that they're doing, talking about what works for family and private business owners right now during this crisis. What do we as family and private business owners need to be doing to respond to our customers, to our people, and to ourselves? So, Jonathan, I greatly appreciate your time. Absolutely. Thank you for your leadership, you and your team. Thank you for leading boldly and leading well through this crisis for individuals like us and those that are tuning in and being a great example to all of us. So thank you to those who tuned in and thank you for those that are listening. Continue to submit your questions. Let us know what other tactical things that you need right now. What other strategic things do you need right now? What other just support do you need right now? So we're in this together. We appreciate all of you. And here's to a great rest of your day. Thank you, you so too. much. Stay safe. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode and help spread the word by leaving a review. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is powered by Centennial, a talent strategy and executive search firm, and the Talent Magnet Institute. You can engage with us at Talent Magnet I on Twitter or Talent Magnet Institute on LinkedIn and Facebook. Please communicate by using hashtag Talent Magnet. 
Find us in your favorite podcast app to subscribe, rate, and leave a review, as well as share with a colleague. You can also listen at talentmagnetpodcast.com. Our podcast studio is based in greater Cincinnati, Ohio. We are supported by our listeners, clients, and partners from all over the world. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is made possible by a great team that includes Janelle Spence and Christine Lewis of Centennial, Josh Chappelle and Adam Smith of Soundpress, produced by Chris Madine of New Fidelity.